Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode number 57, recorded on June 6th, 2023. If I were to make a list of all the technological things the world needs, stuff science needs to solve, windshield washer fluid probably isn't on that list. But you know something? It should. And we'll see why, thanks to Robbie Mayer, who has found an unexpected and important niche that, uh, well, you'll see. First out, here's Grant and some tech news. So what do we have happening in the world of technology this time around? Um, it's actually, uh, it's nice to see some new and exciting things. And other just uh, uh, things that are being done in cities are, are good for everybody. The first one is really interesting. Uh, and you may have heard of it already. Um, the term you would hear is um, smart skin. Okay. Mm, new one on me. Don't know okay. what that means. So smart skin, um, so if we go smart skin non-term, it's a material that blocks microwaves and infrared heat and then shifts from transparent to translucent. So you would use these materials in the old days in microwaves, types of materials, right? Not exactly, okay? Um, But what, what... Without getting into the super, super technical detail of it, um, it's composed of tiny light-controlling particles, okay? Um, And the um, particles um, are called iridocytes. And then they have pigment-containing cells called chromatophores. So in other words, you can manipulate these cells from their appearance and properties. Why does that matter? Because the one side, and when expanded, they scatter light. So they make a, a, material, a material opaque. The conversely, the, they contract and they make it translucent. So let's think about some applications. All right, so wait, hang on. So this would be, is it is it like a Mylar film? Is yeah, it... it's like a film. It's a film. Okay. So, so here's an example. One significant issue would be stealth technology. Think of applying this film or material to a military aircraft, and then they become nearly invisible to radar. Okay, so not quite a Klingon cloaking device, but something that would certainly <laughs> be close. better than a B-1 or B-2 bomber. Okay, well, I get Because it. remember, they have the ability to change their transparency, so the reflectivity allows them to blend into their surroundings as well, make them highly, very tough to evade, uh, very easy to evade detection. This isn't necessarily visible light. It is, uh, in case of radar, radar be radar. Oh, that's still coming out to find okay. something. And it's what it's right. doing when the radar comes out, it's absorbing it and and changing it. Um, think of a smart skin for device, electric devices is easy, okay? So you put the material in a smartphone, a tablet, a laptop, uh, and the user can control the transparency of the device's screen. So it affects a layer of security because when sensitive information can be hidden from the prying eyes, because it would basically change the condensation of the screen to adapt 
and block out if I wanted to or make it transparent if I wanted to. Then you look at commercial buildings, think of this now, you apply the material to windows, okay? So now the window can, uh, can regulate the amount of sunlight entering in the building. So during, think of a hot summer, the material can become opaque, reducing the heat gain and become translucent. I mean, sorry, lowering the need for air conditioning, okay? In contrast, colder mass material can be translucent, allowing more sunlight in, reducing the need for artificial lighting. Okay, so this, and you can apply this. I know that there's, for example, my wife and I both with the windows in our great room would love to be able to have that that glass that yeah. clicks uh, between opaque and transparent. Right. But that's special glass and that requires a certain amount of electrical power, right? How does this, how is this powered? Well, well, hold on. Effectively, I guess... It could be powered if you can emit heat and meet energy and, 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 and basically you, I would assume that you have the potential to power it through solar. I don't know that, but I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, oh, and, and you know where the squids, why it's called this? It comes from the actual uh, doing all kinds of experiments on squids. And you know why, right? As in, so squids. Uh, wait, squids. are we talking about squids and octopi? Yeah. So squids yeah, and because- octopuses, they can make their skin grow and contract. And they, when they grow it, they can exactly blend into a other atmosphere, uh, whether it be behind it, blend into a... Uh, seaweed or make it bigger and when they contract they can look almost invisible i've seen videos that's what it is octopus. it's called squid skin uh, right so i've squid skin okay so i've seen octopus yeah. octopi whatever um you know fleeing from a predator and then they nestle down into the rocks and within half a second boom they're gone yeah they just disappear because they their 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 ability to camouflage themselves is so incredibly fast the whole design was made based around squid skin. Hmm. I'm telling you, this is like pretty amazing stuff. Um, you could even use it for protect against microwave weapons because they emit high frequency electromagnetic radiation, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, which is harmful, obviously, to, to us and electronic devices. But if you had this material, it would shield the electronic equipment and block and absorb the microwave radiation so you'd be safeguarded. So like, okay, so in place of like something as, as complicated and as expensive as say a Faraday cage, absolutely. Or if you're worried about electromagnetic pulses, if you're worried about solar storms, cool. Um, okay, so I read a lot. You do too. This was one that like kind of was one of the coolest things I read. <laughs> so um, that's number one on my list, and I won't top that one. By the way, Alan. No, but that's that would be really cool. I'm going mean, to follow it a lot because I can you imagine if these scientists make all this happen? Which you know we both believe that nothing is limits has limits anymore. What they can do for homes, for safety, for oh, I mean all kinds of things. Who knows? Maybe cancer devices that have radiation. I mean, um, it'll change everything, um, and we can dream about it. The next one is. 
more of a innovation that has nothing to do with technology, okay? okay. Or a something that's being done in the city of Seattle. So what they're doing is the mayor, and, and you know, and, and and let's not let's not forget, Seattle's had its problems the last three and a half, four years with what mayors have done and so on, and we won't get into that. But the new mayor, or the mayor, Bruce uh, Harl, what he's doing is he is going to change the zoning. Now you've probably never heard of this before, to build builders to build double the size height, double the limit height. Okay, of buildings, residential towers in an area right now. So they're testing it, right? In an area, Union Street to Stewart Street. And they're going to mm -hmm. triple, almost triple the height. They're increase the height limit, right? So that on only, only on a couple of um, conditions. Um, it has to be, have to include educational center or a school building. This is pretty cool. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of people do this about when they're building the new residential towers in downtown Toronto, they're putting in business floors, all these services to, to help the people, uh, stay within that 15 mile, 15 minute city, whatever you want to call it. But this, this mayor is changing the whole landscape of the downtown to create people to live downtown. Mm -hmm. So he is saying, I want more people to live in the city. I want it to be safe. Okay, so obviously he's going to have to deal with all that stuff. But he's ensuring that public schools can locate downtown. Downtown public schools. You don't have to go out, leave the downtown and live, get this, and live in the suburbs. That is something that you know, we see in Toronto where some of these buildings are actually incorporating schools, which yeah. eliminates this, the necessity of, uh, I mean, basically, if you lived on the 32nd floor, you would go down to the second floor to go to school. Correct. Okay. Makes sense. Livability. I, I like it. Um, and, and I think that um, the, um, the idea of doing that probably... Um, is, is going to be so big. It's just going to be so big. And, and I don't well, know. That's, that's one. Of, well, this is also something that's going to come into play post COVID because you have all these office towers downtown that empty out at five o'clock every day. Those towers are going to have to be repurposed to be more multi-use 24 seven. That would mean you would need to have these towers or new, new construction, uh, you know, live workplaces. And if you have live workplaces, you have to accommodate a variety of families. That includes families with children who are still in school. And they want people to stay there. Like, if you want, like, we know, we know, we all know what happened, right? We, we know that um, recently people are leaving the city and they want to do the opposite. I agree with it. So, I don't know, it, it's a big one for me. And um, I hope that they can do something because it's pretty cool. And then the last one that I was going to talk about is um, more of a solar engineering side. And the, the, um, the side of uh, photovoltaic and renewable energy. So, basically... Um, 
What they've figured out now in, in detail is they have figured out that solar is not just available energy during the day at sun. And, and what this means is they have now measured it that when the sun goes down through infrared uh, light, there's solar left over. There's energy left over in the air, um, Alan. And they can suck that energy in at night and gain even. So at nighttime, you can have solar energy. Okay. Okay. This is the first I've heard of this. It's this is good. So-, <laughs> so what happens is apparently, you know, um, it, it continues to emit and sit there in the atmosphere when the sun goes down. And there's ability to attract that at nighttime. And there has been a whole bunch of studies, mostly in the UK. Okay. And they are now measuring it and can do it. Now, are we at a stage where it can be usable? Probably not. But but it always starts something. Well, it does. And they are, other scientists are looking at ways of making sure that we can get solar power day in and day out, night and day. Like for the, the Chinese being able to beam solar power from satellites. There you go. Uh, yeah. That they're, they're, they're making some real progress on that. So... I can see that there being life beyond solar power, beyond just solar panels. Well, we want solar panels. That's a given. Um, We want that. I mean, I'm all for that. Um, But the fact that they're finding ways, because we always argue that it's not enough. Hmm. It's just not enough. Um, So, I mean, um, if they do it, uh, I I think that it changes a whole thing, changes everything. So that's the end of my uh, news today. If you have a car, you know how annoying it is when you run out of windshield washer fluid. And it happens at the most inopportune times. Maybe you're lucky and you've got a jug floating around in your trunk or the passenger seat floor well. It's a small thing, but it's one of the things that go along with owning and maintaining a car. Well, it turns out that the whole universe of windshield washer fluid can be very environmentally unfriendly, more so than you may realize. And this is a problem that needs to be solved. Robbie Mayer is the CEO of Ecotank Canada. He'll explain everything. Listen. Let's start at the beginning, Robbie. Explain who you are and how you have this connection to smart city technologies. Absolutely. So my name is Robbie Mayer and I'm the founder and CEO of EcoTank. Um, we're a washer fluid dispensing company that's, you know, reinventing how people refill their washer fluid in Canada and, and eventually the United States. Um, but effectively, you know, with washer fluid, um, as we know it today in a consumer setting, you know, we take a plastic jug at a fuel station or at a box store and we refill, you know, our, our, reservoir or we're refilled at a mechanic shop when we do our you know yearly maintenance so yeah or you pick it up and bring it home but whatever yeah it's plastic bottles exactly so our dispensers are effectively installed anywhere you would be in a consumer uh, convenience setting Uh, typically we target charging stations fuel stations um, but now we're looking to go into condominiums um, 
fleet operators, uh, parking garages, a- anywhere you're, you know, typically parking your car is a, you know, a place where you could be topping up your, your fluid. And so the, the idea in a smart city is, is to try and, and streamline and, and connect, you know, certain services and, and, and things like that. So our dispenser is, you know, not just like, you know, a typical dispensing system. There's a lot of technology behind it. Uh, we use an Android device for payment, uh, which can layer on, you know, applications, you know, like a Tesla app or, you know, Locomobi app or a- any application really uh, can layer on our existing business application um, and, and payment application that we have on our device. Okay. Now, forgive me. Fluid dispensers, windshield washer fluid was way down my list of things that I thought needed innovating and uh, updating to the 21st century. I think Robbie's got a good answer to that. Uh, maybe what he wants to do is tell us. I can't wait to hear it. And he can tell us why it's evolving because it totally makes sense. So, so I never thought I would be, you know, in the windshield wiper fluid uh, business. Um, you know, my background's real estate development. My passion is real estate. I, I, I love connected buildings. I, you know, anything like that is right up my alley. Um, my business partner and I were just, we were having a, you know, a drink in the hot tub one night and he was complaining that, he, you know, on his way uh, to my house, he had to fill up his washer fluid and he was at a Petro Canada station and the jugs were overflowing the garbage cans because everybody uses it typically at the same time when there's a storm or surge or something like that. And he went to go pay for his jug, which was outside. And the attendant was like, you know, we'll be back in 15 minutes. So he couldn't, you know, pay for his, his jug of washer fluid. So he took it <laughs> and he's like, I'll just, this is his, his typical gas station he goes to. So he went back and paid another time, but he was just complaining in the hot tub. He's like, I, I, I don't, I cannot believe that this is still how, you know, we refill washer fluid. And, and I was like, yeah, and I, I have a Tesla and the front of a Tesla you know, unlike an ice vehicle, it's all carpeted. So when you spill your washer fluid everywhere, it's not just going on your engine compartment. It, it's, you know, can go all over your carpet. And I, I, I hated it. And, and we were just talking about all the inefficiencies that, like you mentioned, you don't really think of unless you're actually doing it. And, and typical users use, a you know, two jugs to, unless you're in like Winnipeg where it's four jugs a year. Um, so it's not like something that you're doing all the time. It's, you know, so it's not something you, you think about innovating, but we were like, you know what, let's, let's, let's create something. And that's what we did. Uh, If I go into my garage right now, I will find four half filled jugs of windshield washer fluid because my wife insists on buying a new one every single time she needs, she thinks she needs to top up. And it only turns out to be half a jug because the reservoir in the car is never the same size as what you get out of a jug. So you end up with dregs all over the place, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so these are the, the we found. But that's waste. There you go. You're talking about waste now. Yeah. And when we, when we started, it was really the inconveniences that, you know, made us start looking at this. And then we realized that there's a whole bunch of other issues as well that, you know, you can, you can take advantage of. And, and I'm not, uh, when I first started this, this is an eco-friendly company. I'm not like by nature, you know, a real conservationist. There never was, you know, I was very, you know, I, I, I was a real estate guy. I didn't think about these things. I had friends and family that were, but 
you know, as I became more involved in it, I realized, um, and the re- main reason I wanted to do it is, you know, when it's a green uh, initiative, it needs to have uh, three factors. It needs to be green one. It needs to be the equally as economical as, you know, previous solutions. And it needs to be as convenient or more convenient than, and, and that's the problem. Like when you take, you know, if you go in to buy something in bulk at a grocery store and you have to carry in your own containers, that's inconvenient. So less people are ever going to do it. Um, this system, you know, once we, we thought about it, it, it actually is better in every capacity. Um, like you mentioned, transactionally, uh, consumers only paying for what they need. So they, they don't need to pay for extra fluid that they don't really need. Um, so by doing this, the business owner can actually charge more per liter and effectively, there's a benefit to both the business owner because he's making more per liter. And then transactionally, it's you know cheaper or at the same for the consumer. So economically, it's, it's you know, a better or at least the same. Um, right. So if you only buy exactly what you need, you may pay a little bit more for that. But at the same time, you don't pay more for more than you right. need. And the reality is, is most people threw it in the back of their truck and threw it out later. I've seen people so many times take it that whatever's left and just dump it on the front of their windshield. I've also seen people just throw out that last little bit right into the garbage can. And, and from an environmental perspective, we use methanol in our washer food in Canada. Um, the Europe uses ethanol and California uses ethanol, but because we have such a cold climate, we need to use methanol. And the reality is, is methanol is, is not terrible. You know, it's terrible. It, it, and, and basically the cost to recycle these, you can. It, 70 million is the estimate that we have of these go into the landfills every year or incinerated in Canada alone. And when so, you start- so this, but, but then you're saying, I mean, I, I got to think that I think of all these plastic pot bottles and all that. That's just creating a disaster in the world. You know, I'm part of it. I, mm-hmm. I'll admit um, but I would think these, the, the whole area of regulation is sooner or later going to come that we don't, we're not going to have plastic bottles. We don't want them. Once the gas stations start putting these in, they're going to say, you can't have the other shit anymore. And that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Well, well, Canada, as you guys probably are aware, has set up, you know, a mandate by 2030, there'll be single use plastic uh, packaging free. Now, it's pretty ambitious, and they've started with certain things that basically they need to see at scale. Um, you can replace uh, you know, something in the product cycle like they've done with straws and cutlery and plastic cups. Um, but it, it's going to go – like once we can show that at scale we can replace plastic jugs at, you know, across Canada, that, that it could be the next thing that goes. And, and from a municipal level – uh, the greater Montreal area has already done this. So Terrebonne, Mascouche, and Prevost, which is our biggest market in Quebec, you can't sell washer fluid unless you have an eco-tank dispenser there. You hear that? Yeah. That's it's, amazing, eh, Alan? Yeah. yeah. So, so like, it's our biggest. And, and you know what? you got to remember, we're a startup, and we're trying to infiltrate it and, and get in some of the biggest corporations that don't like to be disrupted, like fuel stations. Um, anyways, they were begging us to put them in because they were getting fined 2,500 bucks a month or I don't know what, what the wow. fines were. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so if they, they're doing this at the municipal level, they're going to start, it will be a, a thing that will be adopted. Hopefully, you know, more municipalities than provincially 
And eventually, once they can show it, they just don't want to disrupt businesses without there being a solution in place, right? That's like, and you can't just say, hey, you can't sell, do this anymore. Like, what else yeah, are they going to do? Yeah. yeah. And, and washer fluid is, it's an inelastic product. We need it. Like, it's, you don't think of washer fluid in, until you're on the highway and you're out of it and you're like, oh, crap. Well, like, I, I, I would think see. that <laughs> you know? if, you were, if you were a true visionary, Alan, uh, it would be the future of the gas station or the, we'll say not the gas station, the uh, service station would probably be air for the tires, uh, whether it's your Tesla or Abbey or something else. It would be fluids and, and EV charging. And yeah. that's probably the design of the future station. Okay, let me, I have a bunch of questions and let me start with, with this. Um, this does now make sense to me because I've been through a number of third world uh, countries where you still buy gasoline by the jug for your moped or your scooter or whatever it is. And I always thought <laughs> that was kind of dangerous. Uh, so now I'm beginning to see the equivalencies between that and, and washer fluid. Uh, the question I, I guess that I want to start with is why hasn't anybody thought about this? Before? <laughs> yeah, it's so basic, right? But that's how it is, right, Robbie? <laughs> this is essentially what everyone always tells us. And, and, and I'd like to, you know, state that we didn't come up with the idea of, of EcoTank. Um, the company that initial initially came up with the dispenser system is out of Europe and they're in 11 countries out there. They're, they're the POS company for the fuel industry in Europe. And, and it works a lot differently out there. It, it was designed. Uh, there's a lot of regulation when you put any equipment in a fuel island. Uh, has to be hazardous. There's clearances for explosion proof. It, it, yes. So it, it was designed specifically to be at a fuel pump and integrated through their POS system into the C store. When we brought it over here, uh, it didn't connect because the the language doesn't talk the same. And to Grant's earlier point, we really looked at like EV um, and you know other uh, adaptations, if you will, other than just fuel. Um, so we, we created a standalone POS, we created the Android, we created the software that manages it. it's all proprietary. Um, we've developed uh, further uh, products like, to Grant's point, a joint combo air unit. So we have a, a partnership with CSC AirServe, which is the air pump company at every fuel station in North America, 77,000 locations. That kind of helps. Yeah. So, so <laughs> uh, Frank Merrill, who started it in Canada, he's a uh, uh, been a, a really good mentor to us and um, you know we, we've adopted similar business models to them but we've created a joint unit specifically targeting EV parking garages and the idea is it basically replaces a Mr. Lube um, you know for, for EV vehicles. I uh, think they're everywhere yeah. I, like, like Alan um, and, and it's not news to a lot of people but we announced for example think of the other systems that we've been doing I, I get the mainstream Got it. I get even the garages. So we'll be doing stuff with Robbie in the garages. But think of some of the stuff we recently announced, like the parks. We're putting smart systems throughout the parks. The port authorities that we said today. Do you know there's seven, almost 700 acres at the port authority? Can you imagine the nightmare they have with all the trucks and vehicles and all that? Like, this is going to be a mainstay, in my opinion. And, you know, we're all crazy entrepreneurs. Um it could be mainstained everywhere. And, and, and Alan, I could be wrong, but if you have a rear engine Porsche, 
um, and there's a lot of rear-engine high-performance cars, all the fluids are in the trunk as well, kind of like the Tesla. That's right. In my car, I have the same problem that you do with your Tesla. My reservoir uh, is in the hatch and the entire hatch carpeted. is carpeted. And <laughs> with without a funnel or even with a funnel, it sucks. It sucks, I, risk, I run the risk. And, and, you know, another thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that these fluids are flammable. I know a guy who splashed some gasoline on the manifold of a very high performance sports car. It caught on fire. And he panicked and he went to the windshield washer fluid station and started throwing that on the fire on the manifold and the whole car went up. I want to throw in another thing, too. Uh, Windshield washer fluid is poisonous. So if you end up dribbling it on your garage floor, your driveway, whatever, uh, and an animal comes along, be it a dog, a cat or a bird or whatever, it has apparently some sort of sweet taste to it and they will lap it up yeah. and they'll die. Yeah. It, it, ha- hazardous product. Like we have uh, all of our drivers. So our solution, uh, Alan is, is, is turnkey. We put it in, we manage it. Our software uses uh, machine learning and, and local weather data to predict when they need to be refilled. So they're never going. Empty. Yeah, Alan. So if you have the app, it tells you in, in, in advance, Hey, you need to get more washer fluid. You need this. Yeah, because you don't know unless the little thing that lights up in your dashboard. Yeah, some don't, but some don't. Not all of them do. Well, I'm talking about, I'm talking about our, our, our eco tank. Yeah. But to, but to your point, Grant, like Bright Drop, a company that is, um, they have an app uh, and, and it says two things on their, their car. What your air pressure is and where your washer fluid's at. That's it. And that's and and that's all electric vehicles need. And and, and to be even further, and, and I'm being very salesy when I say this, but there's a Ford engineer, the head Ford guy. He has been on public record saying that um, for autonomous vehicles, because they got to keep the sensors all clean, uh, washer fluid will become like the fuel of the future because they will have three times the reservoir as we currently do now. So ah ah. You need for your front window, your rear window, your uh, headlights, um, and then all the light, all the lidar sensors around the perimeter of the car. Yeah, if you look at like a Waymo or um, they have these, like you can't have a sensor go dark. They have to right now. And, and I've I've read articles where they're looking at other avenues other than just a sprayer because it's not. That's fine. Yeah, but, yeah, but right yeah. now, that's the solution that we have for even semi-autonomous. Like if you're going to try your Tesla and go autopilot, you know, or whatever car, like most cars have this similar function. I mean, you're trusting sensors not to be dirty. And, and so now if you look at like a brand new Mercedes or a Volvo, they have these things that pop up. You can see videos online and they will spray. But because they're using so much more washer fluid, they need to have a bigger reservoir. So like where now, if you have a car, it's about three and a half liters. If you have a truck, it's like five and a half liters. They're expecting this to go triple. Um, so, you know, this is a you know, significant usage tailwind. And, and as you know, like uh, ICE vehicle owners, once they switch to an EV, if they, if they do and, and the transition's not going to be as, you know, there's a lot of people that like right now, my family, we have one ICE vehicle and one electric vehicle. Cause I think that's a pretty good combo. Uh, for yeah. different applications. But, you know, as this shift happens, you're never going to go to a Mr. Lube and get your fluids topped up. That's about 30% of the market. So we're going to see, you know, a significant usage needed. And, and right now, 
if you don't use an eco tank, you're driving to a gas station with your EV car to get convenience washer fluid uh, or, or a box store. If it, if, but you know, like that's not typically a convenience um, location. So yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's interesting. Where, where um so where's has your inroads been? Um, because I'd say that probably the most expensive part of this whole product is the machine itself. But with you reading the application, you'll always be able to find more interfaces, more things, robots, and all kinds of stuff. So um, where have you seen the inroads come? And and um, wh- if there was barriers, because there always is, where are the barriers? Outside ICE cars, of course. Yeah, like, like for us, our early application and inroads have been at, at fuel stations, because that's still where primarily everyone gets their fluid. Um, you know, even if you drive an EV, like I mentioned, you're, you're otherwise going into a, those are your like two options, right? Um, and, and so when we go into fuel stations, you know, we've had a big learning curve when we started this this uh, this venture. Uh, when we first started, we I think Seven Eleven was our first customer, and if they Not had, yeah, no, they were they gave us our first shot, and, and we've always started with big corporations. We we really didn't go after independents. Uh, right now, I, we have pretty well every major uh, fuel provider, uh, at least in a pilot or a second rollout. Um, and, and but when we first started, it was going at every pump. Okay, so like in our units, are, they can be double sided, just like a gas pump. So two people can use it at the same time. And and what we realized is this is ex- extremely expensive. You know, six eco tanks. Our cost right now, because we're not manufacturing them here uh, ourselves, we're we're basically buying from our from our partner it's hot and so we're we're evaluating this capital cost of these projects and i mean washer fluids not fuel you're like we sort of talked about your average person uses two jugs a year so we're talking about two phillips if they're only using what they need maybe they're (laughs) minor right so um you know it we realized that this wasn't a good application. So what we've, our biggest hurdle was figuring out and, and allocating the necessary amount of eco tanks per site. And now with EV chargers, we just put one, which is a dual unit, which I think is the most effective option. So basically we create like a car care center beside the EVs, uh, yeah. parking garages, same the thing. Yeah. And, and now our capital costs and, and, and really it, it meets the demand. And then like fuel stations, we've, you know, we will evaluate the previous washer fluid sales and say, hey, like, what is, how many units can this site justify, right? Because, you know, you want to still, like, the benefit to our product is that multiple people can use it at once. So if you had two units on site, four people could use it at once. You know, one time. So they're dual. Each one's dual. They can be dual or we have single-sided for, like, we have different, you know, uh, but, but that's the idea. So our biggest hurdle has been, you know, figuring out how many of these is appropriate, uh, you know, per, per location, which we've, we've definitely figured out now. Um, but also figuring out what other applications can be integrated with this. So we have a new product that we're uh, going to be announcing at, at the NAC show, which is going to be um, involving very similar to Volta's concept of the charging, but it'll, it'll have advertising screens. So now when you're sitting, the whole idea of Volta was that while you're charging, you have this billboard in front of you, you know, projecting ads to you. And this is going to be the same concept as it'll be situated in a similar location. So as you're charging your vehicle, you have messages. You pay that, for advertising space. And, um, and then I, I guess the, um, I, got a, I got a question that you're probably going to laugh at because you've been asked a million times. 
Well, there will be a time you'll have a miniature smaller one in the house. <laughs> I don't have yeah. to go to the. Well, like I, I'm going to put like my house is wired for charges. Yeah. Right. Is that going to be a case? It, it, it's not. It's not in our roadmap right now. But <laughs> but the whole idea of going into the condominiums, right, where there's multiple residents. So if we had one service center spot in a condo of 400, 500 residents, right, that can basically. The other thing is condo owners don't have a garage. They don't, where are they going to store? They're storing it. it. It's very applicable to the urban um, resident. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a given if you ask me. It's you know, the, the, the rural resident who, you know, right now is, is you know, he's harder to transition to one to yeah. e- eco initiatives, but also he has the space. Like, you know, there's some farmers that have like, like mechanic shops right now use a bulk like they use our same washer fluid in a bulk, but it, it's not monetized. Like our dispensing system yeah, is you. direct to consumer where if you're just like a Mr. Lube, for example, they, they just charge you a flat fee, 10 bucks to top up your fluids. So they don't need to measure. They don't need a, a, a proper measuring device to, you know, which, you know, we have. Um, so they, they just have like one of those cubes, like you've seen, like a meter I've by meter. Them, yeah, tote. Pump it sometimes. And know? they just, yeah. yeah and, they, and, they, and that's what they use. So it's still eco-friendly, right? But a lot of fleets have wanted to put our unit in there because of hazardous restrictions. Like typically when you have a tote with, you know, minus 40 washer fluid, you have to have uh, means of containment. There's all this legislation, but no one really does. So bigger corporations that are concerned about safety will put our unit in. And then the benefit is, is our software tracks the carbon and the plastic offset associated if you were to refill the vehicle with a plastic jug. So they get this sustainability report, which they really love as a big corporation. That and has there's these- probably going to be credits. Yeah. Well, well, we built it initially for credits um, and, and for us, but we realized that you have to remove a lot of single-use plastic to- Oh, no, I think it's an additional bonus. Yeah. So, like how long are these, like like you got these machines and you've got the, the, the loaders. What about big trucks, big transport trucks and all that? They must take up a ton. Yep. So we have a, a relationship. Like I said, we've been targeting fleets and tra- with Day and Ross, and oh, and, okay. and, and you see, like they use huge amounts. So legally, a transport truck has to have an additional reservoir, so an additional jug under the front seat. Um, ah. They have a legal obligation to have it because they can't ever be blocked. You know, like you're driving a big death machine, right? So you have to have uh, a secondary. Uh, so they use a lot, and, and what we do is we actually provide you know recycled jugs on a stick like you've probably seen at gas stations so that so that when they fill up their reservoir they can fill up a jug put it underneath their seat in time Um, yeah yeah and they use a lot but that's the nice thing so we're we we actually love the application of a card lock because anywhere you don't have to have an attendant like like card locks ev they can't sell washer fluid right there's no one there to make the transaction gas station you have someone there's a whole like you know right but anywhere like a car lock where you're offering a solution to you know refill at where like to the business owner uh where they couldn't make revenue before i mean that's a win right and yeah so i i have a couple of uh points first of all i would love one for the for the garage at home again i would love to be able to get rid of those five half me too filled jugs that my wife leaves around that's one Number two, with integration, you go to a um, 
service station right now and there's one air pump yeah i mean you could uh, maybe put it together with with the air pump and have only i mean it, this also helps during um different times of the year because this would be a seasonal thing yeah. mo- largely the big your biggest demand is going to come mostly in the winter time and the slushy parts of the year absolutely um my question here is how do the service stations acquire the fluid how do you transport it and secondly, what sort of maintenance do these machines require? Yeah, so, so that's a good question. So when we first started, we had a, a subcontractor, a subsidiary of uh, RecoChem, um, who has, you know, all but a monopoly on, on washer fluid in Canada. They, they do most of the washer fluid sales. Any drug you buy, uh, Rain-X brand, uh, usually comes from this one company and, and ultra clear is their wholesale subsidiary. So they would service dealerships, mechanics, anyone who's taking these cubes and, and lo- lots of people use a lot. They do 90 million bulk liters of washer fluid a year. Um, pretty crazy. Um, so they originally uh, were our refill partner and our units are smaller and their trucks are these big transport trucks. So it, it was sort of determined that it was really inefficient for their trucks to stop all these times at all these little, uh, to fill up our smaller reservoirs. So what worked out better was them providing us a bulk price where they deliver us a large, large amount of fluid, like a full truckload or the cofactant where we mix it ourselves. So we're not transporting water. And then we have like almost like Amazon last mile delivery. So we have all these little hubs and we, and we use smaller uh, trucks, which is also beneficial to getting into parking garages as well, their trucks couldn't get down there. So, yeah, good point. so yeah, so so we we actually manage the entire process ourselves, which is also better for us because Ultra Clear's business is set up to be like frequency and proximity routing, where our unit units need to be refilled if they're empty. Like you, you can't just have an empty unit or they're not producing. Yeah, it's it's like it's like hey, your unit's empty. Oh, we're not going to be there for two weeks. You know, like too bad. That's not good for our business. But so, you have a you have a partnership with a trucking firm, or why do you do that? No, no. So we we they're all our own hubs. So what what was wow. really effect- yeah? So to make this solution work, you can't just put this product or sell this product. You really, how am I going to refill it? How am I going to service? What made AirServe really great? Uh, like to preface this, uh, and we sort of emulated this, but. Uh, back in the day, air pumps used to break down all the time and it cost so much to have them serviced. It wasn't really worth it. So what AirServe did is said, Hey, listen, this isn't working for you. Let us put the equipment in. We'll do a revenue share with you and we'll maintain it. And so we've done very similar models. So we put it in our own costs. We do a revenue share model and, and we maintain it. So our refill drivers are also our service guys. So, okay. Basically, every time we're doing a refill, we're doing a PM. We're doing a wipe down of the unit, making sure makes everything. Makes sense. There are breakdowns. They, yeah. Exactly. So it doesn't make, like, AirServe supports us with, with certain service. Like, if we don't, you know, it's a one-off service that they're, they're a service provider for us. Um, and UltraClear still does support us out on the East Coast for refill. Um, but the idea is basically to, you know, from a cost efficiency perspective, have all these services in one. Um, and, and so when the guy's going, he, you know, even on the dual units, we check the dryers. So we're saving air, air service biggest cost because they do a lot of coin. They haven't really made that switch over. Is actually just going and picking up the coin. Um, yeah. for this us, is a big cost yourself. Yeah, for us, it's nice. So, you know, we have the software that manages it. So we know if things are array, but 
you know, sometimes you show up at a site and you test something and it, it it's not working properly. But our guy is there. He's also the service guy. So he's fixing it. And by the time he leaves the site that's re- been refilled, it's it's always shiny, working good. You know, and I find that solution is the most scalable. Last question. What is your rollout strategy? I'd love to know how many you're going to have out and when. Yeah. So I, I'd love to... Um, talk about some big partnerships, um, but I'm not able to yet. Um, but I, again, our, our strategy was to target the big fuel um, providers, create, you know, brand strategies with them, which we've done. Irving Oil, just we just did a huge uh, rollout on the East Coast. We'll be in most of the high-performing um, fuel stations in the Halifax region, uh, New Brunswick, um, Quebec, like I mentioned, is a big market. And now uh, these... Uh, partnerships that we've uh, are about to announce in Ontario uh, but it's all large fuel brands and the idea behind this is we're changing we have to change consumer behavior right you have to change like my father when he first looked at it said is this a time machine like he didn't you know you don't know right? so you know you have to change and it's going to take some time and gas stations is still where people refill their washer fluid from a convenience perspective so that's our target and that's where we're going to change that consumer behavior. And, and that's our, our strategy. And then, you know, what we're looking at now is as this consumer behavior shifts is, is targeting, you know, the other locations, like I mentioned, condos, EV, uh, with our other models. This is fascinating. You've converted me. I was skeptical when we began this conversation, but now I want one for my garage. I know you're like me, Alan. You're always like me. I got to have myself. Yes. But But I will certainly use them at gas stations and I'll try to convert my wife into using them because I'm tired of these half empty bottles or jugs in my garage. I have like one of those great big ones that my wife can barely, Joyce can barely pick up. Oh yeah. And spill all over the place. Yeah. Well, you know what? On on that quick note, (laughs) the old uh, ice vehicles, like when if you asked, like my wife, for example, if you asked her where it was to unlock the hitch and, and open <laughs> it up, she wouldn't have a clue. She she didn't know. Um, and, and this is, you know, we've done a lot of, you know, we do a, a marketing campaign at every fuel station where we'll go there for a day and try and convert the regulars, show them how to use it, show them what it is. And you wouldn't believe how many people don't even know where their front, you know, thing is. So to this point, not only does the eco tank make it more convenient and very straightforward, you don't have to spill. It's you know it's very straightforward, same as gas. But the cars themselves, I mean, I can open up my trunk with a click of my button on my keychain, right? Or my my yeah my my, my front trunk. I call it a frunk. Um, but um, and and so that makes it the whole experience easier. Where now everyone will be able to do it, and they'll have to if you're not going to a you know a maintenance facility or you don't have a handy husband that you know will do it for you. You're going to have to, you know, this is a requirement. <laughs> it's, it's not like a want. This is a need. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. And I yeah. still can't believe that no one in North America has thought about this. I think we're going to hear a lot about this. I, I think we we're are. all going to be using it. It's kind of cool. All right. Robbie, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. And that's it for episode number 57. Thanks to Robbie Mayer of EcoTank Canada. See what I mean about finding important technological innovation in unusual places? For more, go to ecotankcanada.com. If you have any questions or comments for us, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog and check out that website, thesmartcity.blog. Notice that domain, .blog. 
The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.